Happy New Year and good morning. Today, our scripture reading is Psalm 145, verses 10 through 13a, and Matthew 6:33. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty works and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Jeff Shu. You can just say Jeff Shu, not all right. That's kind of rhyme. Um, my wife and I have uh, been here since uh, the beginning of the church plant, and so it's been kind of fun. Um, it, uh, we started, you know, before the pandemic, so that feels like about 15 years now. Uh, not because of the church plant, but because of the pandemic, just to be clear about that. Um, I run an organization in town, a ministry called Flourish San Diego. We like to say our name is our aim. We think the flourishing of our neighbors is a great way of capturing God's kingdom, redemptive agenda uh, for the world, for this country, for this state, for this city, for our community. And so our work is largely working with uh, churches and congregational leaders to kind of figure out how do we do that? How do we recover some sense of what it means to be followers of Jesus, and how do we live redemptively into the communities that we've been called? So that's the day job. Um, it has, um, so my test today is to spend time focusing on Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Um, you, I don't know if it interests you or not, but <laughs> I get to say it anyway. Um, I, um, when I first came to know the Lord in college, this was the first verse I memorized. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well, given to you. That's the New American Standard. And it's like, as a new Christian, I was like, what does that mean? I mean, I get the idea I'm supposed to seek first the kingdom, but like, what are these, how does this righteousness thing work in there? And then what does it mean to kind of get things added to me as well? So I'm like, okay, that's good. And it's like, it's interesting because if you look at this, you can kind of say, how should I understand this? Is this a command? Is this an injunction? Um, or is this perhaps something a little softer, like an invitation? And I think as we get a chance to look at it in the preceding verses in chapter 6, we'll recognize that actually, um, in the train of thought of Jesus' teaching, this is an invitation to chase after that which will um, fix what ails you. So it's an invitation. It's more than great advice. It's asking us to step into what's more real and more true than we might actually know. There are a bunch of things that I want to say, but I think at the end of the day, the question is why? Why should I seek first the kingdom of God? 
What's so important about the kingdom that that's supposed to think that I'm supposed to have a primary focus on or, or, or kind of, you know, um, you know, focus my attention onto this? What's so big about that? What's so big about this idea of living inside his kingdom that we might say kingdom living is one way in which we can talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? What's so important about it? Why do I need to seek it first? Well, because it's our tradition, um, here are the three points, then so you can kind of get a sense of if I'm almost done or not. We seek first the kingdom because it's good for us. We'll be talking about that. We seek the kingdom because it's good for the world. And at the end of the day, ultimately, we seek the kingdom first because, I'm going to say it this way, it's good for God. Okay? Why do we seek first the kingdom of God? Because it's good for us, it's good for our neighbors, and it's good for God. Okay, a little bit of context. Um, in the not-too-distant past, right, October, November, we actually spent an entire sermon series around the Lord's Prayer. We just read through it. We just prayed it together, right? And so, because it's up here for your convenience, and again, clearly, it's smaller here than on my screen at home. I made these slides. That's my fault. It is Jesus' instruction, right? It's here in chapter 6. And if you look closely, a lot of what's contained inside this prayer is actually the content of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the chapter previous in in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, the chapter immediately following chapter 6. And so it's almost as if right smack in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray. And if you take a look at it, you see that it says, this is how I'm going to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, addressing God, giving honor to him, And the first thing that we are to, if we were to say it this way, ask for is that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is heaven. What's the next slide look like? Okay, go back. The next piece that I want you to pay attention to is right after that, this critically important idea that, hey, what we want is your reign and rule to be here on earth as it is in heaven, is this phrase, give us today our daily bread. And this is important to us because as we head through the passages that that Matthew 6.33 sits inside, we speak precisely about um, our daily provision. So... That's all I wanted to say about that. Okay, next slide. After Jesus teaches how to pray, there are little sections where Jesus teaches where he says, hey, look, you know, the, kind of, the way you fast is not about bringing glory to yourself. Um, and there are other bits and pieces, but then we get down to verse 25 where it says, therefore, I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Next passage. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then our verse for today. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And if you look at the slide, you see, oh, you mean we don't have to worry? We don't have to experience anxiety? We don't have to be fearful about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, and what we're going to wear? No, we don't have to, Jesus says, because the pagans, those who do not have the Heavenly Father, run after all these things. Your Heavenly Father, however, knows that you need them. Because He's good, because He loves us, we can be sure that He knows what our needs are. And because of that, we don't have to do that same thing, worry or fear, be fearful or anxious, However, but alternatively, what we can do is seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. I never really understood what the, all these things would be added unto you. I thought I was like, I don't know, cool, I'll get some things. But the things that are being offered are the things that we might have been worried about. The very things that our gracious Heavenly Father knows that we need, and we take comfort in the fact that he knows that we need. We take comfort, as Jonathan shared in our prayers to the people, that he is a loving God and that he cares. Great. Now, one of the things that we want to do, um, before we get to this verse, is, uh, poor Chris, I usually have a manuscript so he knows when the slide slides. I didn't get a chance to finish it, so <laughs> he's on his own. But what I want to tell you is that um, when we talk about the kingdom of God, even when we talk about the gospel, sometimes these terms we use so much that it's actually worthwhile to kind of visit, revisit what we mean by them. And so what I want to say is this. When we talk about the kingdom, a kingdom, a kingdom is a domain. It's a realm with a ruler. A, sometimes we call it a sovereign right? Presumably a king or a queen. If you're watching The Crown, you have some sense of what that looks like. It's a domain. It's a realm. It's a place, right? Where it means that the rules that operate within this realm, the ways things are done, the values that are incorporated within laws and rules, et cetera, so forth, the, that which is an operation is an operation because it reflects the will of the sovereign, of the king or the queen. And when we then talk about God's kingdom, what we're talking about is wherever the will of God is recognized, seen, valued, and lived in accordance with. And in some sense, when we talk about the kingdom of God, at least here and now in the 21st century, in some sense, it is an invisible sort of a thing, right? Because you could be sitting next to one person, let's say, at work or even here at church and have very different sets of values, in which case some of theirs may be in better accordance with the will of God 
um, and, and, and some of ours might be. And like, you might not even really know that until you begin to see the kingdom of God in operation in a visible sense. So, for example, if it comes time to, because I've been paying attention to car sales, if you, if you actually buy a used car or sell a, a car, there sometimes becomes this interesting time where the question is, well, what should I write on the bill of sale with regard to the price that was paid for it? And the reason why that comes, I'll, I'll share this with you, kingdom and non-kingdom ways of dealing with this question. Right? The non-kingdom ways of dealing with this question would be, write a lower price so that I pay a lower sales price when I register the car at Motor Vehicles. That's non-kingdom, just to be clear. The kingdom way of answering this question would be, well, what we agreed on, of course. Now, that may or may not be seen, right? Um, how you think and operate within what you believe is right and good and is according to the will of God, right? But it is seen when you write the number on the bill of sale. And so there's a sense in which all of us kind of, in various ways and in various degrees, live within the reign and rule of God. And there are parts of our lives which are not quite yet there. This is normal. What I tell myself and hopefully comfort you with. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we are talking about the reign and rule of God that is, I'm going to say it this way, actually the best way to live in accordance with what's real and true and contributes to human flourishing, including your own. It's the environment in which you are wired to live within. It is the reign and rule in which you are designed to live under. It's a very good thing. Now, um, one of the overlooked things that we, one of the things we tend to overlook when we talk about the kingdom of God is that, I want to say this carefully and clearly, that's why I wrote it down. The gospel is not just or even primarily about the forgiveness of sins. It is certainly that. But it is about far more than the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. I want to say that again. The gospel, the, the exact content of what Jesus preached when he walked on this planet was ultimately about the kingdom of God. Is about the availability of the reign and rule of God for us to be able to live beneath and to live in accordance to, not only for our sake, but for the sake of the world. Let me explain. In, chapter, in Mark chapter 1, which is the next slide, we've talked about this before, if you've heard me rant on about this. Mark is very short. Gospel. He gets right to the point. Jesus gets baptized, gets tempted in the wilderness, and by the time you get to verse 14, John the Baptist gets put in jail, and Jesus begins his public ministry. And in verse 14, he says, it, it says, Mark says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, proclaiming the gospel. 
And it's like, oh, great. Jesus starts his public ministry by proclaiming the gospel. We ought to ask the question at this point, I wonder what Jesus preached. Did Jesus say, hey, I'm going to head to the cross. I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. And you're going to have forgiveness of sins. It's not exactly what he said. And in fact, we know this because the disciples were confused all along the way. But Mark is very helpful because he says, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, and then the editors help us with quotation marks. As in, this is what Jesus said. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news. The content of the gospel that Jesus preached was, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. It's kind of like when you're sitting in the living room watching TV and your phone goes ding, and you get this note from Amazon saying your package has arrived. Right? It's like, oh, yeah, it's arrived. It's still outside the door. It's not actually here, but it's here. Rejoice, right? <laughs> this is what, John, what Mark is talking about. The, king, the good news. Jesus saying, hooray. The reign and rule, that realm in which you were created for, is available for you to live beneath. That's good for you, and it's good for the world. Okay. Next slide. So, this is what happens. We kind of, like, go through our daily lives, and we actually have a lot of questions about things. Um, why is life so difficult? Why is life so challenging? Why do I experience suffering? Why do I experience worry and anxiety and fear and loneliness? Why are there bad things happening in the world like, you know, um, the bombing in Palestine and all its homelessness, the humanitarian crisis and diseases that will break out there? Or in the Sudan where this has been happening for who knows how long? Or Yemen? And it's like, what, what, how am I supposed to understand these things? And I think what I'd like to suggest as we begin heading through this chart is across the top you'll see that the middle column is what we find. It's what we experience in life. It's kind of like things are not the way it's supposed to be. And we know that it's an unpleasant thing, but actually the reason why it's unpleasant is because we were created for something different. There was an original design that was offered to us regarding how humans are supposed to exist, and that was offered to us in Genesis 1 and 2 as we think about what our relationship and our experience of life was supposed to be in the garden, and yet we find ourselves experiencing something different. And we know that the something that we experience is something different, we know because of the fall, because of our choice not to live under the benevolent rule of God, but to live underneath our own reign and rule, that things are not quite the way they're supposed to be. And the reason why we want to talk about this is because how we deal with that becomes so important. Because we could say, oh, and so, I'm just going to give up. This is just the way it's going to be. And my experience in life is simply going to be one of a stunted life not fully flourishing or thriving as a human being, trapped, imprisoned by the way in which we say, what else can I do? However, good news, the kingdom of God is here. And there is something towards seeking the kingdom of God, 
which is supposed to be freeing. Freeing us from that which enslaves us and freeing us towards being who we were created to be for the sake of others. So, for example, when we think about anxiety, when we think about when we worry about things, you know, we were created for the constant reception of the generous provision of the Lord. I imagine ripe, sweet fruit falling off the trees into my lap, already peeled and sliced. But God's grace and God's mercy and God's love lavished constantly, and that's what we're created for. But what we find instead is a world where we're not safe, where we realize our fig leaf may not be big enough, and we wind up creating mechanisms to hide our shame and to, to cope with our sense of failure and, and inability to kind of live into this life. But rejoice. Praise the Lord. The reign and rule of God is here. The gospel, the good news that the kingdom of God is available for us to live in, we seek it first because we can find security in relationship with a God who knows you and knows what you need. This is why we seek the kingdom of God first. It's to remind ourselves that the good news, the gospel, is that there is a God who knows us and loves us. And we need not be anxious. Let's talk about worry. We were created for trust and dependence on God and on others, right? Adam and Eve. And yet what we find instead when we enter into this world is that it's not that way. We actually fear that we're on our own and that we don't have the strength or the resources to be able to find our way out of whatever difficulty we are in. But praise the Lord. We don't have to ask for God to rescue us out of this world because he has come into the world. And he has, he has brought his reign and rule for us to live under. And we seek first his kingdom because as we learn to surrender the clutches that we have on our control of our own lives and surrender to God and his goodwill, we will experience his peace. That's why we seek the kingdom. We can talk about fear. We were created for safety. We didn't, I don't think we even knew what harm was. But what we experience today is a sense that danger is all around. This is why we shop for dash cams. Maybe it's just me. We kind of feel like anything can happen. What do we do with that anxiety? Seek first the kingdom of God. Because we know that we have a God who loves us, who knows what we need. We know that as we surrender to him, that his will is good for us, we can experience peace, and that even difficulty in my life, at one point, at some day, hopefully sooner than later, even bad stuff can be translated into good. God can redeem it. That's why we seek the kingdom of God. Because it is the place, it's the realm, it's the, the lordship that we can live underneath where we actually grow in our own character, in our own trust, in our own righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seeking first the kingdom of God is good for us because it develops character within us. We can talk about loneliness. It's an epidemic today, so we have to talk about it. We were created to love 
and to be fully loved. But what we find in sin is that we've been loved imperfectly. We find ourselves being fearful of being vulnerable before others. We find ourselves afraid for the kinds of connections that actually um, produce human thriving. But we seek first the kingdom because we want to relate to others. We can relate to others in ways where everyone flourishes. Where I can be in relationship with you for your good, not just my own. That's the way the reign and rule of God works. This is the ecosystem which we were created for. We were created for it in the kingdom. It's been marred because of sin. But one day, one day, we know that it will all be right. And nothing will compete against the reign and rule of God. We might call that heaven. But here's the thing. The good news, the good news of the kingdom of God is that it is here now. And now what happened is it isn't about us escaping. It's always been about God returning. And God did that at Christmas when the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, came and established his reign and rule on earth so that we can live beneath it. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Good job. Why should we seek the kingdom first? It's good for us. It, you know, this is what happens. When we wind up living inside the reign and rule of God, we realize, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid to cling on to this, that, and the other thing. Why can't I surrender that? And let God be God. And we find ourselves, when we do that, we repent of these things that we clutch so tightly that at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're confessing our own brokenness and our sin. And we're letting God change us. And this becomes so important because changed us is what becomes good for the world. What do I mean? Matthew 26, so 20 chapters after this, of course, there's this fascinating passage where Jesus is telling about the sheep and the goats. And the, the king in this passage is Jesus. In verse 34, it says, The king's going to say to those on the right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you. This is the inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the sheep on the right are going to go, bah. no, they're going to go, what? Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, stay on this slide for a moment. Because you'll see that the themes from chapter 6, right? Do not worry about what you're going to drink or what you're going to eat, or what you're going to wear. Get carried over to here. But more importantly, Jesus, the king, is saying to the righteous who are like, what do I do? 
what I do. The righteous, who are apparently now sufficiently inside the reign and rule of God, that they did not realize that the very things that acts of mercy and justice and love were actually acts of service to Jesus hidden in our neighbor. I think I made that point. Next slide. So, how then does it mean that we, as we seek the kingdom of God, can actually be a blessing to this world? We were created for loving service of one another. We find instead a bunch of people that just want to be served themselves. This is why we train our dogs to fetch the remote controls from the other side. Our dog can't do that. But you get the point. And seeking first the kingdom of God means that we are now able to serve lovingly even if that love is not reciprocated. That's the way it works inside the reign and the rule of God. We actually have the capacity to do that even when we don't want to. We were created to bring value out of whatever we have in service of others. And instead we find people trying to create value or do work, right, for their own sake. This is, this is, a, this is, a, this is a, this is a theological lens on economics. Exchange. You're serving one another. Serving another for good, right? And um, when we seek first the kingdom, we can actually see that what we do for income does not necessarily be divorced, need to be divorced from what we need to do to serve others and seek the human flourishing of, of our neighbors. Justice. We were made for a world which was right and good and fair. And yet when we look around, we see a world where wrong exists and bad seems to thrive and unfair seems to dominate. But within the reign and rule of God, as we learn how to live within God's reign and rule in his kingdom, we find ourselves being able to join with God to set the world right, to help things look on earth as it is in heaven. And this is why we seek the kingdom of God first. It transforms us. It helps us be who we need to be for the sake of our neighbor. And as we become righteous, like Christ, not self-righteous, like, you can fill in your own name there, it allows us to be, exist for the very reason God has us in this world, right? To seek the flourishing of all. To help everyone come to the fullness of humanity that they were created as people in the image of God. Finally, it's good for God. I probably don't need to say this, but it's not like it's good for God in the sense that God needs it. It's not good for God in the sense that God needs a PR team. It's good for God because, as we were reading in Psalm 145, it brings honor and glory to him. And at the end of the day, our salvation is not about us getting rescued. It's about him receiving glory. At the end of the day, it's not about our world looking more like it should look like underneath the reign and rule of God. 
but it's about God receiving glory. And at the end of the day, we become who God has created us to be within the, re- within the reign and rule of God so that we can be able to be who we need to be in the world for the sake of others beneath the reign and rule of God, ultimately for his glory. So I have to start in verse 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, it says in Psalm 145. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. This is the character of the one who loves us and knows us. He is good to all, and he is compassionate on all that he has made, all of creation. And so the psalmist says with great kingdom theology, all you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you, extol you, exalt you. And they will tell of the glory of your reign and rule. They will speak of your might, your power, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and of your glorious, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. All of creation is going to be able to see and honor and magnify God rightly. Because he's the supreme sovereign. The psalmist ends by saying, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. Praise the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, it is absolutely amazing that you choose to steward all of who you are, not merely for your own glory, but for our experience in life and for the good of those and our neighbors that actually are in great pain and difficulty. And so, Father, we thank you that your reign and rule looks like this. We thank you that your reign and rule is a great environment for us to be able to to live within and live under so that we can become who we need to be. And I thank you, Lord, that becoming who self-fulfilled and self-like experiencing peace alone is not what you've created us for, but you've created us to be able to steward all of who we are for the sake of our neighbors. Lord, keep these things together in our mind. Help us to experience your peace uh, within your reign and rule. And may we, at the end of the day, even this coming week, bring glory to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.